Welcome to the Vision for the Valley podcast. I am your host, Joseph Velarde. In this podcast, we will discover the gym that is the Lehigh Valley and learn from people from all walks of life. Well, we are excited to have with us today on the Vision for the Valley podcast, Lisa Perry. Welcome, Lisa. Thank you. We are so grateful that you're here with us today. And one of the things we wanted to do with having Lisa on is really wanted to highlight a lot of what she's doing in in working with those who are in prison and those who are coming out of prison and working through that, that process to see them transition well. And this is in conjunction with something that's recently come out in theaters, a movie uh, called Just Mercy uh, with Brian St- about Brian Stevens and his, his life and his work for the last 30 years. He's been working to overturn cases and people who have been put on death row who've been wrongly accused, and then also helping people to understand some of the reasoning why we view people from a punitive posture and perspective, and punitive meaning that they did something wrong, but they then are marked as somebody who is wrong, that there's something wrong with them, that their their failure makes them a failure, their mistake makes them a mistake. And what he said is, hey, let's move away from being a people who's, who focus on the punitive side of it and go to the restorative side. And the restorative side says, hey, where there are consequences that need to be uh, applied and lived out, let's do that for sure. But beyond that, let's also make sure we're, we're giving them a path forward. And then even when there's injustices, because oftentimes uh, there, there are cases um, that are, are tried and there's not enough evidence to support what actually happens. He's been working to, to see those cases overturned. I really want to encourage you to go see the movie, read the book. It's a New York Times bestseller, Just Mercy. Um, also, there's a, a documentary that HBO Films did, and you can check that out as far as him sharing more about his work and the story that they're doing um, as they're, they're leading that out in, in an incredible, incredible work there um, in Alabama and how it's having and bringing about national attention as well. So I want to encourage you to do that. But then as I thought about that on a national level, uh, it it reminded me of what's going on here locally. And I I was thinking, wow, so grateful for the work Lisa's doing uh, with Second Chance Training Center. And and Lisa's the founder of that and also really working to see some, some big things take place. And one of those is a transitional home. So Lisa, tell us a little bit about Second Chance Training Center and the transitional home as well and your vision behind that. Second Chance Training Center was started in 2015. It's a nonprofit, 5013C. And I started it because I felt that there was a real need for um, rehabilitation and transition for people that were getting out of a correctional institution. And uh, it started in 2015. And then I put it on the back burner in 2016 when I took over as council director for another prison ministry. And then I resigned from that position in 2018 to really focus on reentry because there's such a need for it. Mm. I'd like to eventually have a transitional home or even like a little education center to help people when they get out with technology, learning computers, because a lot of uh, juvenile lifers are coming out that yep. they've never had technology and things like that, or even helping people with their resume to get a job. 
That's awesome. Mm-hmm. So, so currently, when you when you uh, began the work and have continued it, it's really a desire to walk alongside people um, it, while they're in prison, but also yes. when they come out of prison mm-hmm. as well. So, as you look at those those aspects. Um, what are some of the things that you're currently doing? I know that we have a vision for some things down the road here, mm-hmm. or you have a vision for some things down the road, but what are you what are you currently doing? What I do right now is I'm organizing a program at Lehigh County Jail called Stepping Up, a call to courageous manhood through family life. We run it for two weeks. It's usually a program that's run for 10 weeks, but because the county, they're sentenced there for two years, less one day, um, is too transitional for us to run it regularly. So we do it for two weeks, Monday through Friday, 7 to 9, and we've run it uh, three times, and the administration would like us to run it more, but we lack the men to do it. Mm. So right now I'm fishing for men that would be dedicated to going in there. Even if it's one time, that would be helpful. And once you meet the men, it would be nice to mentor them once you get a rapport with them, because it's very important. Because once they get out, if they don't know who you are, it's a big step for them to contact you. So you get a rapport with them in the jail. And then if they go upstate to another correctional facility, you can write them letters and things like that to keep in contact with them and encourage them. No, that's really For good. however lengthy their sentence is. Yeah. yeah. So so as you are working with a lot of these, these men and helping others, what are some of the things that, um, as you've gotten to know them, what are some of the the ongoing issues you see as far as what's led them down this path of being in prison? You know, beyond committing a crime, I know that's like right. I actually got them in, but are there things you see within? I think it's a lot of where they grew up, not only that, but not being afforded the opportunities that everybody else is. Mm. You know, some of them might have never graduated from school. Or they weren't encouraged to go to school or to college and things like that. And that really dampers how they will get out back into society. And it's easier to deal drugs and make a lot of money than it is to go to a job during the day and make, you know, maybe minimum wage. Yeah. So And also for their yeah. families. You know, when they're in there, their families the it changes as to who the leader of the family is and it's a it's a struggle financially and emotionally. For the people that are left outside of the jail. Okay, so as we think about that, I think it's really important for us to recognize the power of walking alongside others. Because yes. so many people, we assume they have more than they actually maybe have. Mm-hmm. Um, even if they look like they've got it together, there's often more happening going on in, in their lives and their story. And I think just the, even the priority of mentors and being a mentor to others. Uh, mm-hmm. One of the things that I've come to really appreciate is I've uh, been thinking about the passing of Kobe Bryant um, and I'm a big basketball fan mm-hmm. is how many uh, players said that he would mentor to them and he had this quote he said mm-hmm. my greatness isn't meant to be just for me it's meant to be shared with others mm-hmm. and I think about that for us all how we all have a greatness to share with others it's not meant for us just to hold on to exactly. for ourselves but it's meant for us to give uh, to others, and I think about one of the ways that we fight, even with people going down this path of incarceration and that cycle that is so difficult to break within a family unit, is to really prioritize walking alongside others and pouring into them, into 
share our greatness with them. And I think about that from my own story. I mean, that's really what happened for me and my two brothers is, you know, my mom was a single mom. She did the best she could do. Um, my dad was out of the picture for most of my life. Um, there's a lot of anger and hurt. There's a lot of things going on in my home life. And really even going down this path of, of making some really poor choices that led me to get on probation. I had a probation officer by the time I was in ninth grade. And she would come visit me for two years and then had a lot of in-school suspension, out-of-school suspension, um, failed several classes. One of them was French. I don't know what I was thinking, <laughs> taking French. I just thought it would be cool, but I, I shouldn't have taken French. And, you know, eventually I broke probation, and, and I'll never forget the cops uh, coming into our home uh, the summer going from my ninth grade year to my sophomore year and banging on the door and just uh, taking us out of our home in handcuffs and taking us down to uh, the juvenile detention center. And we stayed there one night, but man, talk about being scared and, mm-hmm. and afraid and, and the traumatic experience uh, that that was. And, and then I think about people, I had a friend who recently was incarcerated for a month and just how, how painful that was for her and, and even how she had to work through not only what she saw and experienced, but even the issues beyond what was going on, like the things of anxiety mm-hmm. and fear, not just from being in prison, but these cycles, you know, that addiction often plays mm-hmm. on your life or, or not being supported and encouraged to move forward and not having a support system in those ways. But one of the beautiful things that we can do is we can become a support system for others. We can cheer each other on in that journey. And, and you've heard it said before that, uh, you know, someone needs encouragement if they're breathing, right? That's how you exactly. know, like everybody needs it. So and encouragement is like oxygen to the soul. And we encourage in a variety of ways, whether it's words of affirmation or even words of calling people forward in love and saying, hey, I know this is a desire of your heart, but here's what you need to do to get there, you know, or serving and giving of ourselves. And we have to be wise with what we can do. But I think not missing the opportunity that it is to really be a part of seeing that change, starting from outside the prison, but then working inside the prison. And then once they get out, continuing down that path of of walking alongside others. So as you think about that, Lisa, as you think about those different stages, you know, before you get into prison, you're in prison and you get out of prison. What are some things that you think um, people could tangibly do to really engage uh, with with people and really helping to walk alongside them? I think a, a big important thing is listening. Hmm. Just listening to what their issues are and having an unbiased opinion as to, you know, if they did this crime, they're not a bad person. Um, they just, it's not bad people, it's that they do bad things. Hmm. <clears throat> and it's just encouraging them, even once they're in there, and getting that rapport with them, I recently had somebody that I knew for years. He's been in and out and in and out in his early 20s. And then he got out. And you don't hear from people sometimes when they get out. But then he had um, his girlfriend had a child, and the child had to go down to CHOP hmm. with a heart condition. And I got a call from him. So you never know when these individuals are going to call you, and you still have to encourage them if you haven't heard from them in a long time. Yeah, I think that's really important across the board, you know, mm-hmm. whether they're 
uh, whether they're not in prison yet or just people who are, you know, daily going through their lives and they're not down a, a path per se mm-hmm. of being in prison to those who are in prison, those who get out. There's so much, so much power in listening well, asking good questions. And I mm-hmm. love what you said, unbiased opinion, being mm-hmm. objective um, mm-hmm. enough to hear what's going on. And a lot of times we can uh, do ourselves a disservice and do a disservice to others when we're not willing to lean in and listen to the story. Right. And when we when we go ahead and play, you know, judge and jury on someone's life because of poor choices that they made. And I, mm-hmm. I think when we do that un, unintentionally or sometimes intentionally, we forget that we ourselves uh, have made poor choices. We all have. Exactly. We all have made poor choices. I mean, and, and uh, I'm, I'm thankful that I'm not a person who's known just for my poor choices, but rather someone who said in the midst of those poor choices, people still believed in me right. and walked alongside me. And, and thankfully, even for me, when I was imprisoned, you know, I in, you know, spent the night in juvie. I had uh, people who were waiting for me on the outside, like youth pastors and youth leaders and teachers to keep cheering me on and walking with me, not giving up on me, you know, even in the midst of some really challenging things that I was trying to work through and understand. Um, and, you know, I, I think we can be that kind of person for others to to listen well. Uh, what, what it would look like to have uh, ears of empathy for other people around us, to understand their story. And this could go for people in your neighborhood, your yes. home. This could go from uh, people in your workplace um, and even people at the Starbucks or the gym. Just to lean in and ask the question, how are you doing? Ask that question and, and allow space to really for them to, to answer and to not rush your way through that and to be in a hurry. And I think slowing down enough to do that is really important that we listen. And, and understanding, too, you know, that as we listen, we, we have a finite uh, ability of what we're able to do. But asking ourselves, what could I do for one? Exactly. Instead of trying to do so much for the many. You know, what What can I do for one? You know, what can I do for one? Because if we could just do it for one, how would that affect other people going forward? Because the, the goal would be that that would not just impact that one person, but then they would go and impact somebody else. And this is Correct. how multiplication mm-hmm. takes place, and it, it moves forward. And, and so I think listening and I think being available is one of the things you said, too, is being available for people to say, hey, you know, as we, we look at this, we want to really make sure we're able to walk with you through this. And I, I really uh, even appreciated what you were talking about beforehand about the ways in which, hey, our, our hope is to help them with education, mm-hmm. resume building, job placement, housing. And so as you look at all those things, what are the hindrances for those things to become realities for you? What is, if you could say, hey, this thing, these things I want to see happen. Here's the the challenge or the roadblock that I face when I want to move forward with it. I think with with helping the individuals, they lack the technology. Mm-hmm. Um, sort of sitting down with them and training them and something like that, and building their confidence too has a lot to do with it. I just had a young man that got out of uh, SCI Chester that I met back in September, and he was interested in educational training and technical training. Hmm. So I emailed him and he responded pretty quickly that he's no longer in the Lehigh County area, but out in Harrisburg area. But could I still help him? I said, yes, because I still help people across the state. 
I just look in that area where I might be able to do some searches where they might not be able to or they're not familiar with the area because he was living in Lehigh County all his life. So to go to that area where I'm not so familiar with, try to find some information that would help him. So I don't turn anybody away if I don't know how to help them. I also go to a reentry coalition meeting in Northampton County and network. I do a lot of networking with people to find out what's available. If I can't help somebody, I will remember I talked to this person who has this facility that would be able to help them or some kind of training that would be able to help them or for services somewhere else. Hmm. So really one of the things I hear from you as far as um, hindrances or challenges is to make sure there's enough resources available. Exactly. So, so as you're listening to this podcast, I think one of the things I want you to consider is what are the resources that you have or your organization or company has when it comes to networking with job placement, right. skill training, mm-hmm. uh, which is really important, um, also really helping people find transitional living situations yes. and circumstances. And and then the other part of that with the transitional piece as far as the, the home situation is this is one of the areas that Lisa's really passionate about mm-hmm. and really would love to see a transitional home come to be. I think one of the difficulties is the financial aspects of that. And so if you're hearing this, I really want to encourage you to consider being a part of resourcing a transitional home here in the Lehigh Valley, because that is something that's really needed right now. And many people don't understand that once you go into the system, it is very difficult to come out of the system because this record that you have, depending on what it, it you know, depending on what it is and what you're charged with, um, can make it very difficult to find housing. And before you can even find housing, finding a job. Um, and so the, the system is really set up in such a way that at times those hurdles are really there. And, and so the the deck is, is stacked against you. So to be able to resource people, to not to not forget their dignity, value, and worth, and right. to walk with them and to find people who are willing to hire people as well. So if you're hearing this and you work for an organization and you're uh, someone who has the power to employ, I want to invite you to just consider and even having a conversation with Lisa about, hey, what could it look like to start a job transitional program for somebody who is coming out of of prison and then being um, able to move forward with their life. Because that's the hope, right? The hope isn't for them to stay in this punitive path, exactly, but to see the restoration happen. But restoration doesn't happen on an island. It happens with the environment that you're in, yes. with the people that you're surrounded with, by having a support system you know, to allow you to be able to do what you're doing. And so I really want to encourage you to think about that. Would you be someone who's willing, again, to think about what the goods and services you have that you could offer, whether that, again, is mentoring, skills and job training, technology uh, training, resume building, uh, someone who's able to even uh, help financially to make this uh, transitional home a reality? I mean, these are all ways that you can get involved with this. And it's so exciting to see. And so, Lisa, if they wanted to to really say, hey, I want to do more, I want to learn more, I want to engage with this process, how would they go about doing that? Because it's one thing to be like, oh, yes, like I'm in it, I'm inspired. <laughs> yes. But like, where, where, how, <laughs> how could they, how could they go about that? They could give me a call, or they could email me. 
and tell me what they would have to offer. Even finding a room in a decent area for when people get out because there's people mm-hmm. in county or upstate that are just sitting there and there and they maxed out, but they don't have a home plan. They don't have a place that's been approved for them to go to. And a lot of them are on the registry, as we call it now, they're sex offenders that are looking for housing, and it's always so difficult for them to find it. So they sit in in jail waiting for something to happen, yeah. and some of them are homeless because mm-hmm. they can't find a place. And so it's, it's difficult to see those situations, but it's understandable because of their charges or something like that. They're like the modern-day leper, as somebody said. Mm-hmm. Um, you don't know where to place them, and a lot of the people that get out don't have the money, so you need somebody that's going to work with them, you know, give them, give them time for them to find a job, get paid to be able to pay for their rent. Sometimes their families will put money down towards it, but it might not be the whole thing. Instead of paying a security deposit for a whole month, maybe it could just be for on a weekly basis paying something down like that. So give them the opportunity for that and also for jobs to hire people if they don't have the skills because of their background of maybe being a drug dealer or whatever. Be willing to offer them the skills on the job training and things like that Mm. to help them but not enable them. You can't enable them. Yeah, so I think there's a, a good distinction there. Between helping and enabling. Exactly. Helping says, I want to help you to go down the restoration path. Right. And I want to walk with you through that journey. I want to encourage you. But I can't do it for you. Enabling is, I'm doing it for you. I care more about this than you care about it. And I'm allowing this vicious cycle to continue. And so you are starting to do something for somebody else that they could do for themselves and should do for themselves. Mm -hmm. And a lot of times with this type of work, because it's a helping profession, uh, a lot of times what happens is we start feeling like we have to save people and rescue them. Exactly. And this is when compassion fatigue overtakes our lives. And not only compassion fatigue, but then anxiety overrides a lot of people who are doing the helping. And this is when Mm -hmm. depression and addiction set in, even for those who are trying to do the help. Because Without us knowing it, we're going down the path of enabling and not helping. Right. And so as you think about that, what are some of the, the boundaries that you have set, uh, Lisa, to make sure that you're helping and not enabling? You, it's good to know the person to find out what their skills are and how, you know, do they know how to use a computer but just don't want to use a computer because there's a person that's willing to do everything for them. Mm-hmm. And that really, it, it's not good for them. Because it's, you know, sometimes the person that's offering the help, it's over overloading them and overwhelming them with um, things that they're doing. So it's finding out the skills. That's why it's mm-hmm. good to have the rapport with them when they're in jail, mm-hmm. sort of get the information about them. And when I go to these reentry fairs at the state correctional institutions, the SCIs, I have them fill out a paper and give them a little bit of background about themselves and what they're looking for so that I can help them. That's really good. So Mm -hmm. as you think about that, I think it's a great question to ask even for, and this goes from both sides. I I think it's not just for those who are uh, in prison and and coming out, but also even, you know, in our own relationships with people who are not per se um, in prison, they're not haven't gone through the system to make sure, hey, am I a person who is enabling or helping? Exactly. And one mm-hmm. of the ways that you, you ask that is you f- or really are able to assess that is asking what Lisa said, the question of, hey, what what are you passionate about? 
what are you good at? What skills have you learned over time? What are, what are the things um, that really motivate you? Uh, what are the challenges? What are the roadblocks? These kind of questions help to solicit really important feedback because a lot of times people, you know, there's a couple of things that go on. A lot of times there is this insecurity that can overtake people because of the decisions that they've made and what they've been told. And a lot of people, I believe, and you can correct me if I'm wrong, from the prison system have not been affirmed about who they are and what they have to offer and the value in which they can bring and the significance of their lives. And so we, you know, we want to make sure that we're a person who's able to fully uh, walk with people in that way to help build them up. But part of building them up isn't doing it for them, but to walk with them. So I I always like to encourage people to say, hey, I want you to watch me do this. Then I want you to do it. And then we're going to talk about it. We're going to talk about both sides. I want to talk about how I did it and what did you see? And then I'll let you do it. And then I want you to do it for somebody else. Mm -hmm. And and so even as we think about training people, one of the, the gifts that we can give to them is, hey, now you can go do this, but also you can do this for others. You exactly. Can, you can teach them and you can train them. Whereas if you were to enable somebody, you would say, no, I'm going to just do it for you. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do this work for you, even though you're very capable of doing it yourself. And so what we want to do across the board in our relationships with others is asking ourselves, what is it in me that I'm trying to meet in this relationship with somebody else? Because we live in a culture right now that likes to practice massive independence and also go the other uh, swing uh, in the other direction, which is um, really codependence. But we don't know how to do healthy relationships with interdependence. Mm-hmm. And a lot of times people want something instant, too. So there's the, the lack of affirmation part and the lack of confidence. But sometimes there is the short-sightedness of people. And so as we talked about Kobe Bryant before, one of the things that I love about him is he said, you know, there was one summer he didn't score at all. Like, he was playing basketball, and his dad and him are talking, and, you know, he's like, Dad, you know, he's crying. He's, you know, a kid. He's like, I didn't score at all, like, all summer. And he said, you know what? Whether you win or lose, I'm going to love you because you're my Mm -hmm. son. And so Mm -hmm. I, I love that. And he said how that propelled him forward. So we need to be able to speak that into people, like, you know, win or lose, I'm going to love you. Mm-hmm. You're my son. You're my friend. You're, you're a person of significance to me. But then he also said this to Kobe. He said, you're, you're not able to achieve what you're going to achieve without hard work. Exactly. So yes. a lot of times we say mm-hmm. things like, you can do whatever you, you want to do, but you got to put your mind to it. And I think that's true, but I think it's even better to say you got to put your, your muscle into it. <laughs> you got to put the mm-hmm. work in, right? you gotta, you got to allow yourself to go down this process and this journey of doing that. And, and it's easy, whether you're in prison or out of prison, to blame somebody else. Right. And I think you need to understand your story. You've got to process the pain. You've got to understand why you did what you did. You've got to be able to unpack that with a safe place, a trustworthy friend. You've got to be able to share those stories of sadness and, and get to the root of some of those things. But if you're not careful, sometimes when you're doing that, we haven't been taught how to not take that and then project it on the person maybe who was involved in hurting us. And it's okay to say, hey, this person hurt me. This person has caused some things in my life um, that have 
led me down a path, but they did not decide for me what I decided. I made those choices. Right. And so we've got to own the choices because if we don't own the choices, they end up owning us. If we don't own the pain, Mm -hmm. it ends up owning us. And so we've got to process those things in a healthy way. And one of the ways that we get from enabling to helping is to help people to own (laughs) their, their person, their story, even the path and the journey and the process going forward. Mm -hmm. Because a lot of people want it quick, but it's not quick. You know, even right. even if you're not in prison, it's not quick. <laughs> you know, like it's not. Lisa's been going at it for many years, doing what she's doing here, and and man, I've been going at it for many many years here, doing what we're doing as a church, and and yet in the midst of it, it's not quick. But you've got to stay with it, and you've got to be willing to commit to that. And we need to be people who remind each other of that, remind each other of who we are, remind each other of our value and significance, that we have nothing to prove, no one to impress but that we are deeply loved by God and he has a plan and a purpose for our lives. We also need to be people who remind each other, hey, we've got we've to do something with the pain. Because if we don't do something with the pain, it's going to do something with us. Because there's ways we numb the pain, right? Mm-hmm. Crime is just one of the ways we do that. You know, you know pornography is another way. Alcohol is another way. Workaholism is another way. Mm-hmm. Overeating is another way. We can go through a list of things. So we've got to process that. And then we've got to own our story in our journey forward. We've got to be able to, to go back, to go forward. Exactly. But we, mm-hmm. we, can't, we can't stay in the past just to stay in the past. But we've got to allow us processing the past to propel us to the future, a preferred future. Mm-hmm. And we all need that. And that doesn't matter if you're a prisoner or not. We all need to be people like that. So, so as we think about that, uh, Lisa, I wanted to ask you, you know, as we consider how to resource and walk alongside others. You talked about people being able to reach reach out to you by email mm-hmm. or calling you. What's the ways, can you share, if, if you're comfortable doing that, share with them those addresses and those numbers with them? Sure. My cell phone number is 484-226-7358. And my email address is lisa at secondchancetrainingcenterinc.org. Okay. It's pretty long. <laughs> yeah, you did a great job with that. And so yeah. the website, too. Can you tell them the website for the the, the Second Chance Training it's Center? www.secondchancetrainingcenterinc.org. That's great. Yeah, mm-hmm. and I, I just want to applaud you for the good work you're doing. Uh, Thank you. Lisa, one of the things that people don't recognize or know is how hard it is and how lonely it gets as you're going through this path and this journey. And so as you think about that, what allows you to stay with it? What allows you to stay stay on on the mission that you have? There's such a need for these individuals to get help and get the encouragement and to be mentors for people, inviting them to your church mm-hmm. and treating them like a person and just not some criminal. Yeah. That's really important. And to take that time to listen to them, to help them. And you also have to set up a boundary when you're mentoring. You know, how much do you want to get involved? How often do you want these people to contact you? And things like that. It's, it's very important because you you also have to protect yourself. Yeah. Well, mm-hmm. one of the things you mentioned to me, too, is as you were thinking about the prison system, you mentioned this uh, Amazon Prime yes. uh, documentary that you watched mm-hmm. about the rapper Meek Mill. 
Mm-hmm. And can you tell me a little bit about well, how that impacted you? And, and it, would you recommend others watching that as well to even kind of get a sense of some of the things that you're dealing with and, and going through? Sure. I would highly recommend it. It, I, it was an eye-opener for me because this young man got caught up in the system and it, for years, just minor infractions, they would pull him in uh, on a probation violation. And it's been going on and going on. And just the racism. Mm-hmm. I mean, uh, when you look at even things locally at uh, Whitehall High School, they had the riot up there. And just looking at the videos on Facebook mm-hmm. and how people, you know, race became an issue and things like that, where people look at that first instead of the situation as to why did it happen. Mm-hmm. You never know the full story. Yeah. Yeah, that's really mm-hmm. good. And I was going to say, too, I know I've mentioned Brian Stevens. Uh, one of the other things on Netflix and HBO, there's a, a documentary uh, with him. And um, I think I may have mentioned this before, but I think it's really important that we understand more fully about the work that's going on here um, and, and just the importance of our part in it. And we know that Jesus, it, he says that he came to set the captives free. He's come to bring freedom to the prisoner. And that doesn't always mean that they get out of prison, but they can still have freedom while they're in prison. Exactly. And, and mm-hmm. that doesn't mean that those who are outside of prison are free. So some of us are hearing that today and we're like, well, I don't feel free, <laughs> you know, but there's a freedom that, that Jesus wants to give to us and, and has come to, to give for, for each and every one of us. But then there's this, this call to, to visit the prisoner, to care for the prisoner, to, to understand that he has a heart for those in prison. And to be a person who would walk alongside and to understand and not miss the opportunity that some of the best fruit that will come is when we walk alongside those who are there, those who are serving time there, or even those who work in the prison. I think right. about... That's important, too. Yeah, the, the life of the Apostle Paul. And I think about how much he was in prison. Mm-hmm. And he didn't do anything technically wrong. Um, that culture spoke, you know, came against his faith and the fact that he was bearing witness to Jesus and the resurrected Jesus, but he was thrown in prison. And yet in his being thrown in prison, how people would come visit him. And it says throughout his letters that he would write, how people visiting him refreshed him mm-hmm. because he would hear stories. He would be supported. People would walk alongside him. And I think about in, in the same way, how important it is for us to do that. And you know, and Paul had a, he had a past, right? I mean, before that, I mean, he was involved in seeing people murdered, you know, before he became a follower of Jesus. And yet his past didn't prevent God from using him, but it propelled God to use him and, and to move him forward. And even in that story, I, I think there's so much there, but we forget, you know, we forget that before he became this incredible leader within the early church who would start so many churches around the world, he did have this past and God wasn't running from his past and ashamed of him because of what he had done, but he drew him in, in the midst of that. And then through that, and even when he was in prison, people would come and visit and support and encourage him. Even though at that point, again, he was following what Jesus had asked him to do, but then he would use that time in prison to encourage those he was imprisoned with. And even those who were doing the imprisoning of him. So the, whether it was rulers and authorities or, or people who were standing guard in the prison. And so I don't want us to miss the impact that you can have there. I don't want us to miss 
the opportunity that is there as we consider that. So as you think about that, Lisa, and I'm sure you've done a lot with studying Paul's life and and thinking about his time in prison, what are some things that you feel uh, would be important for us to just be reminded of as we think about the impact of ministering to those who work in the prison system and those who are in the prison system? I think it's helpful to remember that we're all sinners. Mm. Uh, There, by the grace of God, go, "I, I could be sitting in there. You just never know. And it's good. The stepping up program allows the men to actually complete something that they may not have been able to complete. And the facilitators that go in there are able to share their stories and how even though they might be addicted to pornography or, Mm -hmm. you know, had an affair, that they can overcome that. And I think it's important, you know, I always say to people, you know, admitting is the first step to recovery. Mm. Once they admit this is the issue mm. or this is the trigger, then they can move on. And I also say, don't live your life in your rearview mirror. Mm-hmm. That, you know, keep looking forward, keep looking up to the Lord. Mm-hmm. And that's important. And when these people get out, they have to be accepted back into society. They can't have this neon light saying, I did this crime or I'm a criminal and I'm a loser. They really aren't. Um, They might be in there for petty crimes. They might be in there for murder, but they do their time and things like that. And they need people that will be willing to work with them. Mm -hmm. I think about the the power of what you said, too, for us all. Really, we're only as strong, as as vulnerable and honest we will be Mm -hmm. about our struggles and our failures. Mm -hmm. And come into the light with that. When we right. start coming to the light, then we can start moving towards what's right and understanding all that God has intended for us. But a lot of times it's easy to, to live in shame, right? to stay in the cycle of shame. And what's really unfortunate is people don't understand that shame begets shame begets shame begets shame. So, you know, thankfully it says of Jesus, he became our shame. He came, she became shame to shame our shame. And I love that because that cycle of shame is broken in him. And um, a lot of times the heaviness of shame causes us, and it's reported when you look at it, to find ways to relieve that shame. Right. So we often turn to things that are so harmful to us and to others because we're looking for momentary relief. But all that does is breed more shame. And so that cycle is really hard to break. Shame is such a, a powerful tool. But then blame is another powerful tool. It's easy to blame somebody else or to blame others. Right. Or or to even blame ourselves in maybe unhealthy ways. Blaming and taking responsibility are not the same thing. Blaming says, man, I'm such a failure. I'm such a mistake. I'm an idiot. What was I thinking? You know, and that really kind of speaks to that shame thing a bit too. But responsibility says, hey, I made some choices I'm not proud of, but I'm, I'm willing to own those choices, and I'm willing to take the steps forward and not to live from a place of pride and fear, but to be confident that there is a path forward and a plan forward for my life. And so as we as we think about that for ourselves, I just think it's so important that we don't lose sight of that because, again, we could be like, oh, man, this is just for those who are in prison. No, this is for us all. Because really mm-hmm. then as we're healthier versions of ourselves, we're able to walk with people. Right through that, that journey and to help them um, as, as they consider their next steps in the process. And so as we, we think about that and as we consider all that we've discussed so far, Lisa, I just wanted to ask you before we wrap up, is there anything else that you would like to add or say? Just be willing to 
commit time. If you're interested in the prison ministry, commit to the time of going in there um, for a different program or for Bible studies. And because they will read you the first day you come in there. Is this person really committed or are they just doing in here to get their penance or whatever? Mm -hmm. And also to help them um, when they come out to be accepting of them, you know, and to encourage them. And there might be some people I know that have been in and out and in and out, but you still have to be there for them when they're looking for that help. That's that's Mm -hmm. really good. And invite them to your church. That's a big important thing because you're not only affecting their life, you're affecting their family's life and their community's life. Mm -hmm. That's why I tell them through the Stepping Up program, what you're learning here isn't just for you. It's for whoever you're dealing with. You know, if you're going to lead your family, that's going to show your sons how they should lead their family. Right. And the community to help other, you know, children in the area that may not have fathers to have them, you know, step up to help the community also. Yeah, I was going to say, too, that this is one of the ways we break the cycles, right? Yes. We break the cycles when we have people pouring in, walking with us and giving them a vision for a preferred future, mm-hmm. but not asking them to achieve it on their own, but walking right. with them and to say, hey, this is not just for you. But this is for the generations to come. Mm-hmm. And I think about a lot of the things, even for my own family story, I just really I, I affirm and want to echo what you said there. It had to start with some changes from my parents, but then they did the best they could with what mm-hmm. they had. And then, then me changing, and now it's going to change for my son and uh, you know my brothers and their families. We're making, we're making some changes. Um, that are going to affect not only us today, but the generations to come. And mm-hmm. so I, I just want to encourage us to think about that. We want to see culture change and transform. We want to see things uh, become different um, than what they are. But again, it starts with the one. What are we doing with the one? Right. And, and from the one, this multiplication movement unleashes and takes off. But a lot of times, like Lisa said, we have to count the cost and we're not sometimes willing to put in what it's going to take to do that. But I just want to encourage you, instead of letting it overwhelm you and be daunting, what's the one thing that you could do? Who's the one person that you could mm-hmm. pour into? Lisa, thank you so much for being on thank the Vision for, for the Valley podcast. We are so grateful for you. You are doing such a good work. We mm-hmm. are so excited to be able to get a front row seat and have this conversation mm-hmm. with you. And I just really want to encourage those who heard this, to check out what she's doing, invest in that. If you want to learn more about Brian Stevens as well, I know I mentioned him a couple of times. He has a, an initiative called the Equal Justice Initiative. So you can go to eij.org. Um, did I say that? E-J, yeah, eji.org, <laughs> equaljusticeinitiative.org. I said that right. You can check that out. And, man, there's so much helpful information and resources there on a national level and what they're doing. But then not to lose sight of local opportunities here too and Really want to encourage you again of those opportunities that the, uh, Lisa mentioned. Again, whether you're someone that can give a skill, you know, and then help further equip and train somebody, uh, help with resume building, job placement, housing, or financial resourcing for this transitional home. I want to strongly encourage you to give Lisa a call and to reach out to her, even to learn more 
and to find ways in which you can further partner with the good work she's doing. Thanks again, Lisa, for being on. Thank you. God bless. (laughs) Thanks for joining us for the Vision for the Valley podcast. We'd love to connect with you and to hear from you. You can find us on social media at Vision for the Valley podcast, or you can email us at visionforthevalleypodcast at gmail.com. 